Hello, you're listening to Ear Snacks. I'm Andrew. And I'm Polly. And we wanted to tell you something real quick before... You hear our extended interview with the awesome Matt Kaplan from the Planetary Society. Um, Andrew, what did you want to tell them? We need your help. We got together with a bunch of other great kids' podcasts, and we formed a new group called Kids Listen. Kids Listen, because they do. You do. Together, we're trying to figure out how you guys listen to podcasts. So we put together a little survey. And since you're listening to a podcast right now, I think it's pretty safe to say that you listen to podcasts, right? That's right. So will you take our survey? Pretty, pretty please? You can find it at kidslisten.org. Kidslisten.org. It won't take very long, but the information that we gather will be really, really important to helping podcasts like Ear Snacks and others be better and continue happening. We love making ear snacks, and this will help us keep doing it. So please take the survey. And now, without further ado, let me try calling Matt Kaplan on my shadow phone. Bring, 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 bring. Hello, Andrew and Polly. <laughs> Very nice to speak with you. Yes, great to talk to you as well. Thank you for the invitation to uh, come on Ear Snacks. Well, our very first question for you, because we're curious, is how exactly does a sundial work? Well, a sundial is one of the simplest devices you can imagine. You can put a stick in the ground, and basically, you've got a sundial. Uh, Because as the sun moves across the sky, it's going to um, move the shadow of that stick In a real sundial, it's called a gnomon, a word that starts with a G. And uh, you can follow that shadow, and it will, if you were to make markings on the ground, it would actually tell you what time it was, depending on where the shadow was. And uh, so it's a really very simple device, and they've been around for thousands of years. Uh, Probably the very earliest way humans had to tell time, other than just looking up at the sun and figuring it out for themselves. So people... A very, 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 very long time ago, we're telling time with sundials. Absolutely, yeah. Nobody knows exactly when it was started, but probably well back into prehistory. Uh, and uh, we have uh, huge sundials, in a sense, that go back many thousands of years. Uh, one of them is one of the most popular places for tourists to see when they go to England or Great Britain. And of course, that's Stonehenge. I was just going to ask about that. Well, it's much more than a sundial, as it turns out. It, it actually was a whole astronomical observatory back in the days when they didn't have telescopes, real telescopes with lenses. But one of the things that it could do was track the sun, and on certain days, very special days each year, special things would line up. The light that would pass through the the great stones of Stonehenge would uh, uh, mean a lot to uh, the people who built it. And uh, so, in a sense, it is a sundial. It certainly is big. I've been there, and it is really spectacular. Well, it sounds like that was really useful to people a very long time ago, but now, in modern day, we have phones and we have clocks, and so we don't need sundials anymore, probably, right? Well, we may not need them, but they sure are fun. They sure are, well, kind of romantic. My boss, who is Bill Nye the Science Guy, he loves sundials, and that's a love that he got from his dad. 
His dad was actually a prisoner on an island in World War II. And uh, they used to make uh, sundials to tell the time. They didn't have watches. That was where his father became very interested. And his father actually wrote a book about sundials. And Bill stayed very, very interested in sundials. He still is today, which led to some of the other stuff that we may talk about. But there's just something really cool about not needing a machine or any other device and really not much more than a stick or a gnomon, as we talked about, to be able to tell the time. And they can be pretty accurate, too. Maybe not tell you, you know, right to the second, 10987654321, but, uh, but really pretty good at being able to tell the time. And can you do this anywhere on Earth? You could do this on the North Pole. You could do this in your backyard. You can do this any place there's a source of light, especially the sun, since it all depends on the sun moving across the sky if you want to know what time it's going to be. In fact, you can do it anywhere in our solar system or probably other solar systems, since we now know that there are probably planets around almost every star in the Milky Way galaxy. And those planets are all going around other stars. And so maybe there are sundials all over the galaxy. We do know of one other planet that has not just one, but three sundials so far. Which Which planet is that? That's Mars, the red planet. Wait, wait, who put sundials on Mars? Well, in part, Bill Nye did. Uh, Bill Nye is my boss at the Planetary Society. He's our chief executive officer, and he provides a lot of inspiration for us at the, at the Planetary Society as well as everywhere else. And Bill was beginning to learn years ago, oh, about 12 years ago, a little more than that, I guess, about um, the Mars rover Spirit and Opportunity. And I, I bet your audience and, and you guys probably have heard of them. A lot of people have heard about Curiosity. That's the big new rover that's on Mars. But Spirit and Opportunity have been there for many, many years. And Spirit's batteries died. It finally had to give up. But Opportunity... Brave little rover is still crawling across Mars and still sending great science and great pictures back to Earth. And now and then we get a picture of something on uh, Opportunity called the Mars Dial. And this is what happened when Bill realized he was shown by a guy named Jim Bell, who's the president of the Planetary Society and one of the scientists who worked on Spirit and Opportunity, still does. He was shown a little device that was uh, called a calibration target. And the best way to explain this is really to see a picture of it. And if you just Google Mars dial, you'll be able to see it. Um, it. It looks like just a little stick with a ball on top. And below it is um, a printed uh, or a colored base. And it has uh, four different colors at each corner. And then there's white and there's gray. And this was put on Spirit and Opportunity because... Mars is a very different place. It has a different atmosphere. And the colors that people would see if you were standing on Mars are very different. So they sent the calibration target because scientists knew exactly what these colors were, the white and the other colors. And so they knew that if they look like this on Earth, we can make them look like that on Mars, and our pictures will be adjusted properly. We'll be able to set up our camera right. But when Bill Nye looked at it, he said, that's a sundial. You're sending a sundial to Mars. 
And so he started to work with that guy, Jim Bell, and some wonderful artists like Tyler Nordgren and uh, uh, John Lomberg and uh, a great scientist named Woody Sullivan to uh, turn it into a real sundial, something that boys and girls would be able to enjoy. And it has everything that a real sundial has now. And it really does work. You can see the sun making the shadow of the Mars dial move as the sun goes across Mars. There are a series of photographs. Wait wait a second, Matt. What is that Martian shadow going to tell us? Well, it, it doesn't actually have the markings to tell us what time it is on Mars. It could have. Uh, by the way, the, a day on Mars is only a little bit longer, a few minutes longer than a day on Earth, and they call them souls. But they didn't put the day markings on. But what it does show us has to do with the motto. A lot of sundials, almost all sundials, have a motto. And what this was able to, to tell us by watching the shadow go across the, the Mars dial has to do with this motto, which is two worlds, one sun. In other words, Earth and Mars, they're two completely separate worlds, but they both circle one star, the star that we call the sun. And that was what was so exciting and wonderful, really, about the Mars dial. And there were other really cool things in there that were mostly put there for boys and girls, like coded messages and so on. But uh, that was partly what made the Mars dials really fun. And, and there was a leftover one, and so they put that on the Curiosity rover that only went to Mars about four years ago. Wow. Is there any way for our friends to, to see what's happening on the Mars dial now? Absolutely. There aren't pictures being taken of it all the time because the cameras on the rovers are always busy doing other things. But now and then they do have to take a look at the calibration targets. Remember, that's what they started out as before Bill realized they were Mars dials or sundials. And so there are pictures of them. You can see them at, on the website of the Planetary Society at planetary.org. Or, like I said, you can just Google Mars dial and you'll see these pictures. You might even see some where you can see the shadow moving as the sun goes through the Martian sky. Well, the Planetary Society sounds like a really cool organization. It seems like you might know the answer to this question. Do planets have shadows? They sure do. In fact, a lot of people may have just um, seen, it's not really the shadow, it was when Mercury went across the sun. And that happened just recently. It's called a transit. And a lot of people went outside with special equipment so they wouldn't hurt their eyes. Because you don't want to look straight at the sun. Oh, never. Never, never, never. Not even through really good sunglasses. You have to have the right kind of stuff to make it safe to look at the sun. So don't anybody do that unless you have that special protection. But uh, Mercury went across the surface of the sun. It passed in front of the sun as we saw it from Earth. Now, if we could have looked at the sun, we might have seen a shadow. Of course, the sun is really bright. So the better way to know the planets and everything else in the sky makes shadows is when there's an eclipse. And did you know that in 2017, in August of next year, not this year, but next year, there's going to be a total solar eclipse. And it's going to go across much of the United States. A lot of people in the United States and North America will be able to see a total eclipse for the first time. Yes, we, we, we got to mark our calendars. August 2017, that's when we get to go see Hamilton. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Matt, back up a second. Wait, an eclipse? What's an eclipse? Uh, an eclipse is something that happens pretty frequently, actually. It's when something gets between where you are and the sun. 
So in the case of a total solar eclipse, the moon, of course, is always orbiting the Earth. And at certain times, the Earth and the moon and the sun are lined up just right so that the moon goes across the surface of the sun. Well, the sun is many, many, many times bigger than the moon. In fact, it's, it's about six million times or five million times as big as the moon. That is substantially bigger. It sure is. But the sun is so much farther away that when, you, when the moon blocks the sun, they're just about the same size. And so as the moon goes across the sun, you see this like curving cutout that looks like it's blotting out the sun. And finally, when you reach what scientists call totality, you can't see the sun at all. And all of a sudden, it could be noontime on Earth, a bright, sunny day. There's no sun. And Everything that's alive at night and making sounds thinks it's nighttime. Birds start to sing, the birds that sing at night. Animals act, the, the animals that only come out at night, nocturnal animals, start to do the stuff. Owls, you bet, because they don't know. All they know is that the, the sun is gone, so it must be nighttime. It's got to be so weird. Very, very cool and weird. It's kind of like I could look at a light bulb and hold up my thumb to cover up the light bulb right in front of my face, even though my, my thumb is much smaller than the light bulb. Absolutely. You would be doing a total light bulb eclipse with your thumb taking the place of the moon. I have to put that on my calendar for next year. Oh, yeah, you should. Everybody should. And even people who aren't where this moon will totally block out the sun will probably be able to see a partial eclipse. But remember, you need that special equipment, the special stuff to look through. Or you can use a pinhole and it's really just a pinhole like in a piece of cardboard or paper and you hold that out and against another piece of white paper or even the ground and you'll be able to see the eclipse that way by looking at the shadow on the ground. I was going to ask you if it would make any interesting shadows. It does. It, it's, um, it's basically, well, the shadow is basically what you see blotting out the sun. It's kind of like a giant shadow is passing over the earth or part of the earth. That is exactly. It's not just kind of. That's exactly what's happening. The earth goes into the shadow caused by the moon because the moon is blocking the light of the sun. And these eclipses happen all over the solar system. In fact, there was just we just talked about on the radio show that I do, Planetary Radio, our podcast, about an eclipse that will be taking place uh, on Venus before too long. So they happen anywhere something can get between the sun and and uh, that planet where you might be watching. It sounds like there might be lots of shadows in space. There are. They happen all the time because, of course, the, the solar system is full of things much, much more than planets. We know that there are millions of asteroids and comets out there, and they're constantly going in front of each other and in front of the other planets. And whenever that happens, there's a little tiny eclipse. So I know that astronomers, you know, they don't just look at our own solar system. They look at far, far away objects and other stars and other solar systems. Do the shadows from those solar systems and those objects out in space um, help us figure out what's out there? They sure do. That's a great question, Andrew. In fact, scientists have learned how to make artificial eclipses as if something was going between us and either the sun, our sun, or in some cases, other stars. 
because by blocking out the light of, let's say, a star that might be far, far away, trillions and trillions of miles, so far that we measure it in what we call light years, how far light can go in one year, which is a very, very long distance because light goes very fast. But we've learned that there are all these other planets out there going around other stars. And if we want to learn more about those planets, well, the problem is the planets aren't very bright, so they're really hard to see next to those stars in addition to being very small. So if we can learn how to make an artificial eclipse, an artificial shadow, we could block out the light of that star and be able to see what's happening with that planet much, much better. And we do that in our solar system, too. That's why scientists love eclipses. They've been able to learn all kinds of things from eclipses and from transits. Like I said, when planets get between the sun and the Earth, they've been able to uh, learn all kinds of things, even about uh, the theory of relativity that Albert Einstein came up with. That was one of the ways that... Uh, that uh, relativity was was proven many, many years ago, about 100 years ago. Shadows helped Einstein prove relativity? They, they helped the other scientists find out if Einstein was right, because a lot of people thought he was dead wrong. It all seemed crazy, relativity. But they, when they did this big test, they found out, thanks to uh, uh, transits and eclipses, that uh, Einstein was right. Shadows are really helpful, Polly. I didn't realize that they were so helpful. I just thought they kind of hung out and followed me around. <laughs> they sure do that. We could probably come up with a game, an eclipse game, where we eclipse each other. <laughs> we could. We would need some light sources. We have those when we go to the park. That's true. And we could run around and eclipse each other. <laughs> Sounds like fun. I want to play. <laughs> okay, come over. <laughs> yeah, Matt, where are you, by the way? I'm in Southern California, which is where the Planetary Society is. We're based in Pasadena, which is not far from the Jet Propulsion Lab, where the rovers that we were talking about, Spirit and Opportunity and Curiosity, uh, were built before they uh, took off on, a, on rockets and went to Mars. Don't they have an open house at JPL in the fall that has a crazy line and everybody wants to go there? They sure do. In fact, it's become so crowded that for the first time this year, they're going to make people get tickets, make reservations ahead of time. So it's a really great thing to do. But for your folks who are listening to the show who might want to come to Pasadena in Southern California to go see JPL, they're going to have to get tickets now ahead of time. You can't just show up. It's just way too popular. People love space exploration. Well, I loved hearing you talk a little bit about the Planetary Society, and you mentioned that you're the host of Planetary Radio. I would love to hear about that. It's, it's all about space exploration, and it's just one of the ways the Planetary Society um, helps people learn more about space and get more excited about it. We're on uh, every week. We do a, a half hour each week on public radio stations, but also on a podcast just like your show. And um, uh, we love to talk to people who are scientists. We love to talk to the people who, for example, are running those rovers on Mars, the rover drivers and the people in charge of those missions. We talk to people who write stories about science, uh, sometimes science fiction and other authors. We talk to politicians because the money to explore space, most of it comes from the government. Most of it comes from Washington, D.C. So that's an important thing, too. Sometimes people don't realize it's, it seems foreign to us exploring space. What does that have to do with us down here? But really, the, the kind of excitement and all the science that goes into every single part of looking at space and exploring it and thinking about it can be applied to all the different kind of science stuff that we do down here on Earth. 
That is absolutely right. As Bill Nye likes to say, we explore space for one reason, so that we can learn about ourselves. It was the study of Venus and uh, the clouds there and that terribly hot, nasty planet that made scientists begin to wonder, gee, I wonder how the atmosphere of Earth might affect uh, the temperature of Earth. And that led to some of the early research on climate change. Uh, And that's just one example. Many, many, many things, as you guys know, have been developed for space travel by humans and robots that are now all around us. In fact, a lot of the computer developments and uh, communication developments, some of the things that are letting us talk right now, uh, came in large part out of exploring and developing space. And in small part, from looking at space shadows. That's absolutely right. I think that your radio show and your podcast sounds so cool to me, especially because I am probably not going to go up into space myself. It's not likely, but I can find out all about it by listening to Planetary Radio. You sure can. We we don't get to cover everything in a half hour a week, but because there's so much to talk about, so much exciting stuff going on in space. But we do our best, and we talk to some really fun people. And our website, like I said, planetary.org, has much, much more information. Some really great people like my colleague Emily Lakdawalla, that's really her last name. Emily is, is really well-known. She writes about all these missions that are exploring the solar system uh, pretty much every week. And in fact, she's writing a book now about Curiosity, the rover that's uh, on Mars right now, the new big rover that's the size of a, of a car or a golf cart. That's the coolest name for mm-hmm. a rover I can imagine. Isn't it? And it was given that name, just like Spirit and Opportunity got their names, from boys and girls who won the contest to name the those rovers. Yeah, really? there were, yeah, there was a contest to name the rovers? Absolutely. It was just super cool, and they got thousands and thousands of boys and girls who submitted names. And there was a, a little girl, I don't remember her name, who was the winner because she came up with spirit and opportunity. And then another young person who got to name Curiosity, and they got to visit. I think they were brought to the launch of the rovers when uh, they took off from Cape Canaveral in Florida, and wasn't that cool? That's very neat, especially because those rovers are going to be up there a long time. The little girl who named Spirit and Opportunity, Spirit and Opportunity, is probably much older now. That's right, and who knows? Maybe someday she'll be able to go to Mars and and see the rovers for herself. I mean, you I know you you don't think you're going to be able to make it, Polly, but it's possible. I said maybe. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> she's she's got a lot of stuff to do right now. You know. That's true. <laughs> anything can happen. That's right. Absolutely. I want to go. I definitely want to go. Well, we can organize that trip right after we play our eclipse game at the park. Excellent. (laughs) Do you have any last questions for Matt, Polly? I have one more question. What is your favorite shadow? Oh, that's a great question, Polly. Um, I'd have to, can I I mention um, maybe two shadows or really three? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've always loved the shadows that were made by my daughters, they're grown up now, but when they were little children, it was fun to see them playing like in the park and making shadows of their own. But I, after that, I really had to think about this, but I think my favorite shadow would have been when I visited Cape Canaveral to watch one of the old space shuttles take off. 
and they take off because they're attached to this big, big tower. And that tower makes a gigantic shadow. And that was a really cool shadow to watch, to, to be able to see. But, you know, those shadows up on Mars from the Mars dials, those, are, those would be pretty high on my list as well. Three solid options. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being on Ear Snacks, Matt. We really appreciate it. It's really been fun to talk to both of you. And uh, thank you very much for inviting us to come on. And uh, I will just leave you with this. As some people say, it's from Latin, the old language Latin, and it's ad astra, which means to the stars. So keep exploring space and keep exploring everything else and uh, have a great time. We'll do it. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. 